Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Grantham Church. Thank you for joining us in worship. As you've heard, we are in a series on Ruth called The Gospel According to Ruth. This is the third message in this four-part series. If you would, go ahead and open up to uh, the book of Ruth in the Old Testament there. You can use a pew Bible, or if you brought your own Bible, maybe you've got it on your smartphone. Again, that's toward the beginning of the Old Testament, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And here in a few minutes, we're actually going to walk verse by verse through this, through this chapter. Remember that the book of Ruth is a short story with a big message about how God cares for those who've gone through unexpected loss and feel overlooked and how he's at work in the day-to-day activities of ordinary people. As we'll see today, it's a book that pushes social and cultural boundaries. It highlights the beauty of faithfulness, of integrity, of loyalty, and of resilience. As we'll see next week in the final message, the book of Ruth is an invitation to see how our lives are a part of God's bigger plan as he's weaving a story of redemption out of all of the details. And so I hope you'll join us next Sunday for that, the conclusion of our Ruth series. So we're in Ruth chapter three today. So let's reflect for a moment on what we've encountered so far in the first two chapters of the book. Remember, we are in the time of the judges when there was no king in Israel and everyone did as they saw fit. That's exactly what the first verse of Ruth says. It's a violent, lawless time, and it's not easy to find a faithful Israelite in Judah. The story begins with a narrator telling us that there was a famine in the land that caused Naomi and her husband and two sons to move down to Moab, which was despised enemy territory, while they were about about 10 years later, Naomi's husband dies and her two sons die shortly after that. Uh, we don't know what happens to them, but they pass away, leaving her with two Moabite daughter-in-laws. And remember, no grandchildren. So Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem and asks Ruth and Orpah to stay in Moab, believing that their best chance for the future is there. And both are saddened. Orpah stays behind, but Ruth is adamant about going with Naomi. She covenants with her, vowing to worship Yahweh and never to leave her side. They arrive at Bethlehem, and it just so happens that the famine is over, but there are two women. There are two women without husbands, without jobs, without land. How are they going to eat? As we saw last Sunday, Ruth decides to glean in a nearby field, and once again, it just so happens to be the field of a relative of Naomi. His name is Boaz. So Boaz just so happens to arrive on the job as Ruth shows up to glean. He learns of her story. Now, again, the timing of that I think is really critical because Ruth, a Moabite woman, is very vulnerable 
but yet she shows up the same time as this gracious landowner. So there's no time for her to be taken advantage of or even maybe possibly run off. So he learns of her story. He's so moved by Ruth's loyalty and devotion to her Israelite mother-in-law and her desire to worship Yahweh that he vows to provide and protect them. And at the end of that first day, we learn that Boaz is not just any relative. He just so happens to be a family or guardian redeemer. And this gives Naomi and Ruth hope in their loss and grief. So my question for us before we go any further is this. Have you noticed that the narrator, and if you've skipped ahead and read chapter 4, I'm including that in, in this as well, the narrator never directly mentions God in the story. Where is God? Why does the narrator do this? Is God there? Sure he is. But the narrator wants us to see how God is able to guide our lives and to care for us even after suffering and loss. He's able to move his plans forward behind the scenes and to work through his people. God is always at work, isn't he? That's what we're seeing in the book of Ruth. That's why I'm inviting us to see today. God works through his people. He works in our decisions, big and small, to bless us and others around us. So let's lean in and let's listen this morning as Jesus calls us to be available as his disciples and to be willing to offer him what we have for his purposes because we don't want to miss out on new experiences of God's loving kindness. Amen. Pray with me real quick. Father, once again, we invite your spirit to be evident, evidently present among us. Lord, speak to our hearts and to our minds. Give us insight and illumination to your scriptures and how it applies to our lives. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Now that our Bibles and our hearts are open, let's go to Ruth chapter 3. Go to Ruth chapter 3 with me. And again, I'm going to just take this one verse at a time. Look at verse 1. One day Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. And one of the things you should notice in this book is that every character is thinking about not just themselves. I mean, there's always uh, some part of us that thinks about ourselves and our situation, but they're thinking about the other. And here Naomi is thinking about Ruth. Ruth needs a permanent home. Uh, verse 2, Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. So some time has passed, and they're, now they're having this conversation. She says, tonight... He will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now, what was the threshing floor? I've given you a few pictures here. Uh, the threshing floor was located outside the city gates, uh, usually in high open spaces, and exposed bedrock where the wind can help separate the wheat or the barley 
from the, the chaff. And so stalks of barley or wheat were brought for threshing. They would use animal hooves or hammers or carts to, to bang it out, you know, then, then followed by the winnowing, which required pitchforks or remember Jesus referred to winnowing forks. He was going to use his winnowing forks to separate the wheat from the chaff, the sheep from the goats, this sort of thing. And so they're tossing this threshed grain up in the air. And when, when the work was done, there would be a celebration right, for the harvest, for what God has provided. And this is the first one in a while, remember, because there had been a famine in the land. And so the caretakers would stay with the grain overnight to ensure that it wasn't stolen. This is the context here in Ruth chapter 3, which is why Boaz is sleeping out there with the grain on the threshing floor. Look at verse 3. Now do as I tell you, Naomi says to Ruth, take a bath, put on perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes. We all can tell what Naomi is trying to prepare Ruth for here. All right? We'll come back to that. Let's just keep reading. She says, go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Now notice that this get dressed here seems to signify a transition of Ruth's social identity. I said this last Sunday that Ruth may have been wearing mourner's attire, maybe even in black, to, to indicate that she is a grieving widow. Naomi wants her to take those clothes off, put on different clothes that show that she is eligible, right? Okay, so this is what we have, we see going on here from widow to prospective wife. Verse 4, be sure to notice where he lies down, then go and uncover his feet and lie down there, and he will tell you what to do. Uncover his feet. What in the world is happening here? Some of you may be wondering. Well, the feet refer to his lower half in, in Hebrew. This could be from his hips to his toes. Now, some references to feet in the Old Testament are used euphemistically to refer to exposing private parts. But that doesn't appear to be the case here. But I don't want us to miss that the narrator, when reading, or rather hearing in an oral culture, hearing this story, wants people to sort of be on the edge of their seat. Like, what is about to happen here? In the same way, you remember in John chapter 4, when Jesus is alone at a well with a Samaritan woman. The same thing there. What is about to happen here? Because men did not do that unless that was their wife. So let's, let's keep reading. Let's see what happens here. Again, I don't think that this be, seems to be the case, that anything inappropriate is happening. But again, we need, to, we need to keep reading. One thing is for certain is that Ruth is taking a risk. Let's, let's, let's pay attention to that. Ruth is taking a risk to go to the threshing floor at night. There are probably other people in the vicinity also sleeping that also could see what was going on here. And Ruth and Naomi both are counting on this principled, law-abiding Boaz to do what is right. So far, he's proven himself to be that, to be principled, to be law-abiding, to be faithful, to be an upright, upstanding Israelite. So they're counting on this to continue. She's, 
She's expecting that uncovering his feet would expose those feet to the cold night air and would quietly wake him up. <laughs> look, at, look at verse five in chapter three. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night, followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. We're on to verse, verse seven here. Let's read verse seven and eight. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, right? He's in a good mood. <laughs> Who wouldn't be after a couple glasses of wine or whatever he's yet? He lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. And so around midnight, it took a while for his feet to get cold apparently, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over he was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. And so he says, who are you? He asked. I'm your servant Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, and for you are my family redeemer. Now look at how Ruth refers to herself. Your servant. This indicates that Ruth wants to be more than a laborer in Boaz's field. And spread your covering should cause us to remember what came before. This harkens back to coming under his wings of protection. Boaz even used that, coming under the wings of Yahweh for protection. Ruth wants Boaz to do this for her. You are my family redeemer. Ruth is taking the initiative, again, crossing cultural and familial boundaries here, taking the initiative by proposing in marriage. That's not the way it was supposed to happen but Naomi takes this risk. She does it anyway, but not just for her sake, but for Naomi's sake and to continue the family line. And Boaz would have seen it in this way too, I think. And notice instead of waiting for Boaz to tell her what to do, Ruth again takes the initiative and she, she speaks. Look at how Boaz responds. Verse 10, the Lord bless you. Yahweh bless you. Anytime you see in the, certainly the New International Version, Lord in all caps, the, it's the Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh bless you, my daughter. Boaz exclaimed, you are showing even more family loyalty now than you ever did before. There's no indication that it's Ruth's looks <laughs> or even this interesting situation but rather it is the loyalty and the faithfulness of this woman that Boaz finds attractive, appealing. It gets his attention. You're showing even more family loyalty than you did before for you've not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing. Look what he says in verse 11. My daughter, he calls her my daughter, I will do what is necessary. For everyone in town knows that you are a virtuous woman. Now, we already heard in the story that Boaz was considered a person of noble character and a virtuous, virtuous man. And here, Boaz recognizes this about Ruth. And clearly, within the, the Hebrew scriptures and with the Hebrew canon and the way it's divided up between the law and the prophets and the writings, did you know Ruth falls in the writings? It's there with uh, Proverbs. Right? It's, it's, it's there is, as, a, as a book of wisdom. And speaking of Proverbs, in chapter 31, Proverbs 31 talks about a woman, a virtuous woman, a woman of noble character. 
I think there's actually a connecting of the dots here. Ruth is like this virtuous woman, a clear allusion, I think, to Proverbs 31. Verse 12, but while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Boaz still determined to do what's right here. Verse 13, stay here tonight and in the morning I will talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then surely as Yahweh lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. Lie down here until morning. Notice that is deliberately from the narrator a non-sexual word in Hebrew, which simply means to rest or lodge for the night. The word has already been used before here in the book of Ruth. It, it wasn't a good idea, you see, for a woman to be walking around at night. And even though the atmosphere here is certainly full of romantic possibilities, the narrator wants us to know that they are both chaste. So Boaz does the right thing. He doesn't take advantage or abuse this woman as we've seen others do in the Old Testament. We give you lots of examples of this from the Old Testament, couldn't we? Whether it was Abraham and Sarah using Hagar as a concubine, or whether it's one of David's sons sexually assaulting his half-sister Tamar. We could go on and on. These examples of women being taken advantage of and being abused, but not with Boaz. Oh no, Boaz is a true Israelite. He loves God. He loves his neighbor. He's a model Israelite. And while the rest of the world might be going to hell in a handbasket in that time of the judges and living according to the flesh, Boaz, he's not like the rest. Like his God, like his God isn't like other gods. You see, Boaz will be faithful to the covenant. His neighbor isn't to be assaulted. His neighbor isn't to be exploited or taken advantage of, even if it were possible to keep it a secret. I mean, who would know? He knows what God expects. He isn't going to compromise his principles. Instead, he wants to remain under the covering of the Lord himself. It's just as David would later write in the Psalms, in Psalm 18, verse 25, he said to the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To those with integrity, you show integrity. You see, church, there is a, a proper order to things. And Boaz is going to follow the Lord and let his faith determine his steps, not his flesh, not his carnal impulses, and also think that Boaz understands that all of God's children, like all of creation, is connected. It's connected. What one does or doesn't do affects the other. So we're so individualized in Western American culture, we don't think communally the way the scriptures do. There's this connection between all of us. So what we do affects the other. What we don't do affects the other. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. <laughs> and your sister's keeper. When one suffers, we all suffer. If one isn't free, none of us are free. So we too must come to someone's aid with this in mind. As the indigenous Australian Lila Watson once said, if you've 
come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. Isn't that good? I just read that in Jennifer McBride's book, Radical Discipleship. If you come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you come because your liberation is bound up with mine, there are no saviors here. There's only one. We are not it. We are all in this thing together. We've all been impacted and affected by sin. Maybe across the world, may not have anything to do with me and my privilege, but it is my concern. I am my brother, I am my sister's keeper. I think the scriptures are telling us that in more ways than one. So Boaz must have understood this, I think, about the heart of God, about the heart of Yahweh, the the interconnectivity in God's world. It seems to be at work in his desire to do what is right even when nobody is looking. Oh, Boaz is a model Israelite. It just goes to show, again, reminding us that even though the rest of the world seems to be following after its own evil desires and doing what they seem is fit in their own eyes, there are always those who are faithful to God. And we want to be one of those people too. Amen? It's his desire to do what is right, even when nobody's looking. Boaz says that he's willing to be the family redeemer if he is able. And some of you, I know, have already picked up on this. There's something to be said here about Christ as our redeemer. We'll wait next week. We'll talk about that. Look at verse verse 14. I'm going to just read the rest of the, the chapter here. Verse 14. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning. But she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. And Boaz said to her, bring your cloak, spread it out. So before she goes, he says, I've got something for you. He measures six scoops of barley into the cloak, placed it in her bag. Now this is a significant amount. I think it's around like 60 pounds or so. That's a lot to carry. Then he returned to the town. And when Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, so what happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her, and she added, he gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. This was a way not only saying, I really care to take care of you, but this is a promise to you that I'm going to follow up on this. I'm going to check in with that other family redeemer. If he doesn't do it, I will do it. This is why Naomi says there in verse 18, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled these things today. Great trust in Boaz, as Boaz has proven his character. So here are some key themes, I think, that emerge here in chapter 3. Maybe you see others. Here's some that I see. First, we, we can see this, and we've said it already, that God is present. God is present behind the scenes, and, and He's at work even when there's not like, you know, real visible, clear, miraculous sorts of things that are happening, God is at work. We need to believe that. Uh, my wife and I, we spent some time in, in house church when we lived in Houston, Texas. And um, before we left and we were going to be moving to Virginia, I was going to be pastoring a church there. One of our house church members came and said he had a gift for me. And I opened up the gift and it was a simple frame with something that had been printed off from his printer at home. 
and it just said, the Lord is doing stuff. And I looked at that, and I'm like, like are you going to tell me the rest of the story? Like, what's this about? And he said, well, you said that. I'm like, oh, yeah, you said that one time in one of our gatherings. It's like, ah, what was I talking about? <laughs> it's just as a reminder that even though it doesn't seem like God is at work, the Lord is doing stuff. We need to believe it, and we need to be patient. How is the Lord speaking to you about that? You know, it seemed like there's much going on around you. You're praying, not getting an answer, wondering when God's going to sort out a situation. How long is that going to take? Remember, the Lord is doing stuff. Number two, God honors those who use their power to bless others instead of taking advantage of them. And man, do we have examples in the book of Judges of people just doing whatever they want. Violence, assault, but not in this story. Not in this story. And we see that this is what God really wants. This is how he wants his people to live and to care for each other, to love God and to love neighbor. As the Hebrew Shema says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. We also see that God's love calls us to take risks. Ruth, Naomi were risking a lot. These vulnerable women. God love, his love calls us to do this, to take risks in order to bless others. And so was, so was Boaz taking a risk in his own reputation. But they do it. They do it. And they reap the rewards of faithfulness. Maybe God is speaking to you about living by faith instead of, you know, just looking at the checkbook and saying that's not possible. Maybe God wants to make it possible. Do we use checkbooks anymore? <laughs> Checking account. And also we see this. God uses our brave acts of love to inspire others to do the same and experience his goodness. It's like this reciprocity of, of love, back and forth, of love and loyalty and integrity, just ping-ponging all the way through <laughs> the book of Ruth. Oh, that we would have that sort of same ping-ponging back and forth, reciprocity of love and loyalty and faithfulness at Grantham Church and spill over into our community to the most vulnerable, to those who are in need, to those who need to know about the loving kindness of Christ. As we consider how God works through his people, and we want to bridge this story with Christ in the New Testament. My mind went to this passage in Luke chapter 5, our last scripture for, for today. Remember in Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, that some fishermen have fished all night. They've caught nothing. Their boats are on shore. They're off to the side. They're cleaning their nets. Meanwhile, Jesus walks up with a crowd, crowd following him. He goes over to Simon's boat and asks to use it. Remember, these, these guys have been fishing all night long, caught nothing. So Simon isn't thrilled about this, but recognizes that Jesus must be a rabbi or a holy man, you know, and so in their culture, he's going he's gonna to oblige. Jesus then pushes off from the shore in the boat so he can back away from the people. His voice would carry over the water. Everyone could hear him this way. And remember, after this, Jesus borrowing Simon's boat, he tells him that he'd like them to get in their boat and try fishing again. Now it's like, okay, he's a holy man, like you're doing your holy stuff. We know how to fish, okay? 
But again, Simon does what Jesus asked. Maybe frustrated, but he does it. And Jesus has a surprise for him. Andrew, James, and John as well, sons of Zebedee, with their participation, with their boats, with their nets, and with their hands, Jesus is going to fill that net with fish. And it's so overwhelming that it's starting to tip over the boats. The blessing that Jesus surprises them with. And so Simon has this epiphany. He has this epiphany of how, what a sinner he is and how holy Yeshua, who's in his boat, must be. The men are amazed. Jesus calls their his first disciples from this experience. And he essentially says this, you think that's something? You just wait. Because now on, you're going to be fishing for people. Among other things, this story, like the book of Ruth, is a reminder, brothers and sisters, of how God wants to work through his people. He wants to work through his people. He wants us to be a faithful presence, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, a job we don't really like, or a job we really like and we're doing well in, or behind the scenes, no one's watching. He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be loyal. He wants us to be people of integrity. He wants us to do the right thing. He wants us to love him and to love our neighbor, to give him our gifts and skills, to share our resources, to share our stuff for the sake of the gospel. And then we too can discover the joy and the surprise of God's goodness in the world. And then that, if you've noticed, that just that spreads like a wildfire. It spreads like a wildfire when we pay it forward, as it were, not only for ourselves, but also for other disciples, as well as our lost neighbors. I believe, I hope you'll believe this with me, this is how God is loving the world. It's through us. So here's some questions then to help us reflect and respond to this message. Number one, are you using your power and influence to bless others? You see, power in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's, it's how we use it. It's how we wield it. And God may give you, have given you a lot of power. Some of you have more power than you realize. Are you using that power to benefit yourself or to bless others? I hear in these stories today, we're being invited to use our power to care, to provide, to bless others. How can you do that? How is the Lord speaking to you about that where you live and in your situation, your family, with your network of friends, with the people that you pass every day? Number two, how is the Lord inviting you to trust him? Maybe through a brave act of love. Lord's put something on your heart. It keeps coming to your mind. You maybe forget it for a time, but here it comes up again, and you're not doing anything with it. What is the Lord speaking to you? And here's the thing I've noticed in our, growing in our faith. Anytime we're going to break through and have a new experience of freedom in the Lord and a deepening of our faith, it usually requires a brave act of trust and love. 
How is the Lord inviting you into that? And finally, number three, how is Christ calling you to serve him and to be a blessing? Maybe it's not a boat, but maybe it's something else. How does Jesus want to use your stuff? How does Jesus want you to offer up your time and your talents, your giftings, your, your treasure for the sake of the gospel? As you pay attention to what's going on in the church and where the needs are, is the Lord stirring in your heart? As you pay attention to the needs at your workplace and in your community, how is the Lord speaking to you to give? We can't fix all the world's problems, but we do have a sphere of influence a pasture that we're called to shepherd. How is the Lord inviting you to respond to that today? Would you pray with me? Father, we are moved by this story of Ruth and Boaz today. We're reminded that we can live with power and give it away and bless others. We can live with integrity. We can do what is right even when folks aren't looking. And it blesses your heart. And you want to reward our faith in that. So Lord, speak to us. Challenge us, convict us if we need that. But ultimately, Lord, would you Spread your wings of covering over your people, Grantham Church, this morning. Invite us into the story of blessing others, of reflecting your heart, of embodying your gospel. Holy Spirit, speak to us, for your servants are listening. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.